0: Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. As we continue to follow the Israelites in their journey out of Egypt, we, we are uh, even now in Exodus 18, we'll be drawn back to the reality of God's mighty redemption that he worked in Egypt whereby he brings out the Israelites out of the bondage of slavery into freedom in obedience to the Lord, freedom in worship as subjects of the Lord. And as we've been making observation, yet there is something uh, to be gained by the Israelites in this time, for between them and Canaan is a wilderness. And even more so between Uh, The wilderness in Canaan, there is a mountain. And so it is that the Lord is taking this community of people, this extended family of Jacob, and he's forming them into a nation. And here in Exodus 18, we do have an interlude of sorts right before the covenant making at Mount Sinai. We will be covering the whole chapter this morning, but I will read for us as a way of introduction just verses 1 through 5. So follow along as I read Exodus 18:1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her away, and her two sons, of whom one was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The other was named Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons, and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he camped at the Mount of God. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us ask for his help just one more time this morning. Oh Lord, we join our hearts and our minds together this morning seeking your truth found and contained in your word. Help your servant now to dispense this truth that your people may not just be hearers of your word, but doers also by the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as it uh, relates to uh, the previous passage, and as I was reflecting upon Exodus 18 this week, I, I thought of it in, in a way of something of, of a prospector, of a gold prospector. And I thought of Exodus 17 and 16 and even some of the previous chapters and I felt like as the prospector I came upon a beautiful valley where I wherever I stepped I could find gold nuggets right there on the surface like manna in the wilderness or water gushing from a rock and these nuggets were clearly uh, in my illustration were our nuggets of Christ revelation in type and shadow of of the deposit of that revelation in the Old Testament right there seemingly on the surface of the text and certainly as it relates to subsequent revelation and their interpretation of it. And so we come to Exodus 18 in this kind of curious interlude before the covenant making on Sinai and I found that I wasn't quite on the surface for me, and maybe I'm not such a good prospector, but it wasn't on the surpa- surface. It wasn't right below the surface for me, but I had to keep going, and I feel like it took me a little bit to finally grasp something as it relates to the deposit of Christ our Lord here in Exodus 18. Not um, to completely overlook, for it's contained here in the historical narrative presented before us. And so here we join in the divine author's intention of revealing to us the mysteries of Christ contained in type and shadow within the Old Testament as a testimony to us that Christ as the scope of scripture is r- the referent point of all the history of the church and even of this age as a whole. And so we'll be looking at this chapter and seeing how it undergirds for us two great Christian truths, that we are aliens and sojourners in this world, and the Lord is our help. This obviously comes from Moses' naming of his two sons, where we find that they are given both in name and in explanation before this interaction with Jethro and instruction from Jethro. Before the covenant at Sinai. And I think it's for us, it, it lays down these, these tracks for us. Where we are to hold on to as we enter into this narrative. That for Moses he is to r- remember that though he has been delivered out of Egypt and he is on his way to Canaan. Though he, we know he will never make it to the earthly Canaan but it is for also the Israelites that will make it to the earthly kingdom that even though they've been delivered out of Egypt, where they were slaves and they were aliens, that was not their home. They find themselves in the wilderness where again they are aliens and sojourners, but not without the help of their Lord. And so we... May see that God has redeemed a people for his own possession and glory from the domain of darkness through someone greater than Moses who uh, will make up true Israel. And because of this redemption, he has given us each other his body to point each of each other to Christ and to these two great truths that we are aliens and sojourners in this world, and the Lord. Is our help. So if we look at the first name given to, Mo- or the, the name of Moses' first son, Gershom, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Follow along, I'll read for us verses 7 through 12. Then Moses went out to meet his father in law, and he bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh, and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so as we see this uh, narrative unfolding where there's this reunion between not just Moses and his wife and his sons, between Moses and Jethro, who took him in as a son when he was first exiled from Egypt after killing this, uh, the Egyptian and fleeing from Pharaoh. And so he comes in this sweet reunion with his father-in-law ensues. Where there seems to be no love lost no matter what amount of time had separated his first meeting him. And this time for Moses had spent 40 years in the wilderness. Or 40 years in exile from Egypt before he returned. And so we find here that Moses in his latter age is not too old and too uh, far mature to give honor to one who is before him. And that is his father Jethro. But within this I think what we are presented with is two antitheses. At least two things are brought into contrast here. First, meet the meeting with Jethro is an antithesis to the war with Amalek. For Jethro and Amalek are uh, joined in blood as they are all considered gentiles. They're not of Abraham. And so we see here that one in Amalek came and he seized the Israelites and his response to the greatness of the works of God is a threat to him and his kingdom. And so he comes to make war against them. And in making war against them, he finds that it is to his own destruction. But Jethro, true as he was when he blessed Moses in his first departing, when he said, go in peace, comes and returns to Moses and not only seeks to be reunited in familiar relations with Moses, but now united in faith. Coming to where he made peace with Moses, he comes to make peace with God. And so this first antithesis, this first contrast we see is between Jethro the Midianite and Amalek, where one comes in Humility, one comes seeking truth, the other coming uh, to undo the works of God or at least to oppose them. And we find that this is done, and we know from other scripture, this is not done because of Jethro's cunningness or his own act, but by the act of God upon Jethro's heart. And so in like ways also, our second contrast is Jethro's response in contrast to the israelites response from the previous chapters whereas the israelites murmured and grumbled throughout their wanderings here is a midianite rejoicing over god's goodness to israel the faith of the gentiles putting to shame the faith of the hebrew reminds me of when jesus during jesus earthly ministry when he comes into contact with the centurion and the centurion says, just say the word and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus says, there is not faith like this in Israel as there is in the centurion. It's very similar here with Jethro, for he shows that his faith is a great faith. He has a faith in the one true and living God because of the works that he has accomplished the works that were supposed to be at the forefront of the Israelites' mind as they went in their travels, that they would remember the plagues and God's delivering them out of Egypt, that they would remember the raising of the staff before the sea and the parting of the sea and their passing on dry land and then the covering of the Egyptians as they tried to do the same. And if that wasn't enough, they were to remember the Lord's provision in manna or in, in converting first bitter water into sweet and then giving manna from heaven and then finally water from a rock and then as a deposit of their future victory in the Lord, the victory over Amalek, which was clearly seen when Moses raised his hands. Victory was given to Israelites, but if Moses' hands fell, the, Amalek, or the Amalekites uh, would gain an upper hand. And so all along the way, the Lord is showing the Israelites that, that, this, that he is with them, that he, that he has uh, blessed them and he is delivering them. And maybe it's just the nature of being in those trials and tribulations, and maybe you can attest to this, is that you can't see the forest for the trees. That you're there and it's maybe one great trial before you or one s- trial after another trial after another trial. And we have yet to stop and, and look back and see that why is there another trial before you? Well, it's because that previous trial has passed you. The Lord has delivered you out of that. He has brought you through it. And if it's one great trial, it is that you weren't fully consumed in the first meeting of it, but you have, the Lord has sustained you through it. Maybe it's helpful that Jethro gets to hear the story in full. And so in hearing the story, he, he's able to gloss over some of these things. Yet I don't think that's exactly it, I don't, but I do think it helps. And it's helpful for us to share our burdens and our trials with one another as we'll see later what the Lord has given us in the church. But as we share with our brothers and sisters, it is not unkind for them to say, praise the Lord for where he has brought you. And may we both petition him for where he is taking you so that you may have somebody who's able to look above the trees and remind you, of the forest, and so we have something of that here with Jess, Jethro, but it is a contrast to Israel's response. And this response of Jethro is a deposit into the reality that un- that the union we have with Abraham f- by faith is greater than union by birth. Our union with Abraham by faith is greater than union by birth. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 9 we read Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? What is the blessing is that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. As righteousness. And blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised? For we say faith was created or credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While well, he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but While uncircumcised, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, and the righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but there is no law. For where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Again, we see here Paul taking into account that which is uh, given to us in the, the Old Testament narrative. And showing us it in full flower and light of the revelation of Christ. And so we see that in Abraham's covenant there was a deposit of the promise of the gospel. And it was held to by faith. and, And it was to be brought about by faith through grace. And so here with Jethro's joining the Israelites in worship. It is a deposit to that reality that Jethro's union with Abraham was not through the law. Was not through... Abraham's covenant as it was, as it pertained to a people and a land, but it was union with Abraham by his faith, by like faith in Abraham, faith in the promise, faith in the one true and living God. We also read in Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, by referring to this, when you When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in no other generation was made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we see here in Exodus 18, as we look at these contrasts, we see that what is being brought before us is for our instruction in the gospel. For reveals what has been revealed here to us through Christ is the mysteries of Christ, which namely here, it's specific, is the Gentile inclusion as fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. Why? Well, because... If we consider our passage, it's because it helps us remember that as if we are fellow heirs and members of the body of Christ, then we are still awaiting a consummation of that. For these bodies are can still be given over to sickness. We can be tired. We can be hurt and certainly. These bodies can die. And so we await a consummation of this. And so in that waiting, we're reminded that we are aliens and sojourners in this age. That we are passing through. That if we share the faith of Abraham and of Jethro and of Moses and of all the saints that have come before us, that we should also share their sights, for Hebrews tells us that their sight was beyond that land and into a heavenly one. We don't only see the contrasts, we also see implied comparisons. For us to see the likeness, it's for us to see the likeness of two events as they are narrated with similar details for similar ends. The meeting before the covenant at Sinai signifies that the Mosaic covenant would not be the covenant. This is a a, a a show to the Israelites that this covenant is not the end-all, be-all covenant. It would serve a greater covenant. How can we say this? Well, in this way, I think we can say it's because this specific interlude between Moses coming, or Jethro coming and rejoining Moses, he comes with a specific order, and there's things said about him that if if you've read uh, the Genesis account carefully, you may find that it is in very similarity and lockstep to another account of a foreign priest coming and blessing another patriarch before a covenant is made. We see that in in Genesis 14. Let's go over the details of Genesis 18, and then we'll see these same details played out or previously played out in Genesis. In Exodus 18, we see that Jethro was a foreign priest of Midian, Jethro came to Moses immediately after a great military victory. Jethro came to Moses immediately before God made a covenant with his people. And Jethro blessed God for delivering Israel from their enemies. And Jethro brought bread. And Jethro broke bread and drank wine with Moses and Aaron and the elders. Well, in Genesis 14, we read of a... This mysterious figure, Melchizedek, who was a foreign priest of Salem, who came to Abram immediately after a great military victory where he rescued Lot for, from Chedalomer and his allies. Melchizedek came to Abram immediately before God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. Melchizedek blessed God for delivering Abram from his enemies. And Melchizedek brought bread and wine, and he broke bread and drank wine with Abraham. Now, this isn't to say that uh, Jethro comes in the priesthood of Melchizedek. I'm not making that connection. But he comes in the narrative details of Melchizedek for a reason. Let's turn to Hebrews 7 and understand something about Melchizedek's coming, and then we'll understand, I think, of Jethro's coming to Moses in Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 4. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils, and those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office Have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these were descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes and paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. This is showing the uh, primacy of the Melchizedek priesthood over the Levitical priesthood to show that Christ coming in uh, the likeness of Melchizedek in his priesthood, he comes as a greater priest for he comes according to the order of Melchizedek. But we see though, as it relates to Jethro coming, we do see that Jethro in blessing Moses and Aaron and the elders, he comes to bless them uh, as it relates to a, a deposit of this, there is a greater beyond this group of people organized as they are in a pre-national setting and eventually w- in a geopolitical national setting in Israel. So this deposit, this blessing from Jethro is just kind of like another stone on the path to point the Israelites away from them seeing that their nation is the end all be all but their nation is actually a carrier for something greater for one who would come in the like in the order of Melchizedek one who would be the blesser and not be ble- not in needing being blessed for he is the greater and all are less in relation to him We see this, uh, the author of Hebrews also shows this in Hebrews chapter 3 explicitly as it relates to Moses. We see in Hebrews 3 verses 3 and 4 that for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. This is Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Here Moses is faithful in all his house as a servant. Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. In scripture, the house is a metaphor for God's people, the church. The church includes both Old Covenant and New Covenant believers. As mediator of the Old Covenant, Moses represents the house itself. He's not the builder. He's not the architect. He is a servant, and he represents the house itself. He, because of his solidarity with Israel, is the house. He is great honor as God's faithful servant in the house, but in the end, he is only a servant. He is only the house. Jesus, however, is the builder of the house. As such, he deserves greater honor. Zechariah 6.12, Lord of hosts, behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. This all pointing us to see here in this interlude where Moses and Jethro have this interaction and they have this almost sacramental meal together, after sacrifices are offered, after profession of great faith is given from Jethro. Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh. For I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods indeed. It was proven when he dealt proudly against the people. It firmly seats the old covenant in its place as subservient to the new. It is to serve the new. Just as Moses serves Jethro. A Midianite priest. So Abraham served Melchizedek. So as Moses was a part of the house. Christ is the builder of the house. So we. We are able to see with greater clarity what was being pointed forward to here in Exodus 18. And all this to say that because the Lord, though here in through the Old Covenant, was building an earthly kingdom, he was not building an earthly kingdom for the ends of an earthly kingdom. He was building an end for a a heavenly kingdom that will come and dwell on a new earth. So it is for us to remember We are aliens and sojourners in this world. But we are not aliens and sojourners without embassies. We are aliens and sojourners with great help, for the Lord is our help. Following along as I read for us back in Exodus 18, I'll begin in verse 17, for what we find is that Jethro is takes an opportunity to uh, spend a day with his son-in-law or at least spend a day in observation of his son-in-law and he sees that Moses is judging the people alone and it's, it's sapping him of his energy and there are disputes that are coming before him and he's recognizing that some of these things are petty, they're low level, they don't require, uh, they wouldn't require necessarily Moses' full insight. And so Jethro makes comment now to Moses. Moses, in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said, Moses chose able men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the peoples at all times, the difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went away in his own land. I'll make no comment, except in passing, that what we have here is common grace is is under is natural understanding from Jethro being brought about into the life of the people of Israel such that we can see that the light of nature can give instruction to the nations that's Israel as a geopolitical entity that they can be informed by the light of nature to rule and and yet they would be a theocratic nation they would also find that it it would comport, their laws would comport with the light of nature in this way. And so Jethro is able to give this very practical advice. We'll also make comment, again, slightly just in passing, that though I love my Presbyterian brothers and sisters and probably some of those Episcopalian brothers and sisters, this is not a description of the government of the church that You have l- low courts and higher courts and, and, a, and eventually a, a, a full uh, general assembly to appeal to as it relates to matters of the church. Why do I say that? Because as it relates to Israel as a type of the church, and the type is not the anti-type, such that there isn't full continuity between the two. But where we find continuity in that the mediator of this covenant and of this covenant people gives gifts or recognizes gifts in other able-bodied men who are then to shepherd and, and direct and judge these people in different settings. So we find in the church the same thing, that our mediator has dispensed gifts Or actually, yeah, our mediator has dispensed gifts where in Moses' case, he only recognizes them. And secondly, at the very end, and then in the very end when it says that they were to uh, handle minor disputes themselves, is that he has given us his word to guide us because Moses was to teach them in verse 20, to teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. How are we taught by our mediator? From his word. He has given us his word and his people to help us. How is the Lord our help? He is our direct help in prayer through the ministry of the Spirit. But he is also a help through the Spirit that abides in your brother and sister in Christ. And so the task of Moses was not to innovate, but to teach the people by throwing light on what the Lord had revealed. And in, like, and in the implication here is that those that he gave charge over those numbers were to do the same according to his instruction. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We may ask, I want the Lord to help me. Lord, help me. I know I'm a sojourner. I know I'm an alien in this wor- world, I, but I need your help. He has not left you nor forsake you, brothers and sisters. But he has given you his help through his administration of gifts and his organasi- organization of his of his body, the church. In 2 Timothy 4, we we read Paul writing to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing, uh, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Set up small groups Make sure they have curriculum that it comports with relevant topics to this world. Uh, Make sure that uh, these things are done in a way that um, is acceptable and will draw in the crowds. I think that's not what your Bible says? Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We teach sound doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Brothers and sisters, my main task or my foundational task, the fount of my ministry to you is the preaching of the word. I'm to do it in season and out of season. I'm going to address it to the young and to the old. I'm to understand that if I preach the word rightly as it accords with sound doctrine, that it is ever relevant to whatever the Lord is doing in your life, whatever the Lord is taking you through. The Lord is helping you this morning and every Sabbath morning that the word is preached to you rightly. I am to preach the word for you and me and you together as the body. We we not only have the word, but we have each other. In Colossians 3, verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you want help? Sing the songs of the church. Earnestly pray in corporate unity together. Hear the word preached. Encourage one another in Christ. The church in type and shadow in the Old Testament could not run properly or effectively without being led by men of sound judgment, great reverence and personal holiness. And the same is the true true of the church today. Only when church leaders such as pastors, elders, and deacons are righteous and reverent can God's people expect to flourish. Where one is appointed because of the weakness of their mediator, the others as it relates to the new, are appointed because of the victory of theirs. Your help being uh, disseminated from me comes through the victory of Christ. Ephesians 4 talks about Christ ascending and des- or descending and ascending. And having us ascending, he disseminates gifts to his body. He gives helps to his people. He has also given us each other to be in, of one mind and of one spirit. How can we be of one mind and of one spirit when we're many persons? Because we have one word. We have one mind of Christ and one spirit of God. This we can agree. This we can come to together as help in our time of exile as help in our time of sojourning, a real and present help in trouble. I'll close with the word of the Lord out of Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We give you praise for your word. We thank you that there is no lost pericope. There is no lost section of your word whereby we don't find the loving reminder of who our Savior is and what he has done on our behalf. Oh, that we would share in the faith of Jethro, that in our hearts we would no, and with our lips we would confess that you are above all other gods and that you are bringing us into your land and so we as aliens and sojourners beseech your help through these means of grace and through your body of saints who you are fitting together Help us, Lord. Help us to see the beauty of such a design. From now and forevermore, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.